pocket might auger flash through her mind as she steadfastly refused to fish the beeper out and look at it, at least not before the bride and groom had gotten their share of rice thrown. Highway death, hunting accident, domestic dispute, visitor center out of toilet paper. Lonnie and Shawanda Reston were presented. Applause carried them down the aisle. Ushers began emptying the church pew by pew, starting at the front. Paul disappeared. After the service, the priest was superfluous. He'd scuttled into a priestly sort of bolt hole to slip into something less godly before going to brunch. He'd given her explicit instructions as if she were a small child in danger of becoming lost in the woods. After the ceremony, stay put. I will come find you. Anna slipped the beeper from her pocket. On the digital readout was the number of Mount Locust Visitor Center followed by 911. Not toilet paper. She sat back down and rummaged through her purse. Her watch was in an inside zipper pocket. It read 9.22 a.m. Without even thinking about it, she registered the time she first got the call for the inevitable report that would follow. The church emptied quickly, and she was left along with saints, shepherds, and chrysanthemums. Minutes passed, and Paul emerged from some inner sanctum to the left of the altar. As he walked, he rolled the sleeves of a green woolen shirt, exposing his forearms. For a moment she stayed still in the shadows, merely enjoying the sensation of enjoying watching a man. "'That's a pretty dress, is it new?' Paul said, as he walked down the side of the pews to where she waited, jewel tones from the stained glass washing across his face and hair. "'Bought it new to impress you?' He smiled in a slow southern way that reached deep into his eyes. "'I can't make Lonnie's brunch. Duty calls.' She showed him the beeper by way of explanation. A shimmer ran through the denim blue of his eyes. The smile widened fractionally, then relaxed. The light was uncertain, but Anna had seen relief enough times to know it. There was a Mrs. Davidson who had crawled out of the woodwork. Paul and his wife had been separated for nearly four years, each with their own homes, jobs, finances, and friends. And if Paul was to be believed, and Anna did— no conjugal visits to talk over old times on either side of the sheets. But no divorce. Mrs. Davidson had not wanted one, and Paul let it be. Till he'd met Anna and filed. Mrs. Davidson was contesting. Along with football and hunting, Mississippi still revered the institution of marriage and had hammered that reverence into law. There were three grounds for divorce in the state. Commission of a felony, cruel and unusual treatment, and adultery. Sheriff Davidson had succumbed once or twice, but in the end, Father Davidson prevailed. Anna never pushed. She wouldn't be a part of Paul being defrocked for behavior unbecoming a priest, though she was relieved they would not have to share a romantic social event while steadfastly being neither romantic nor social. Paul's obvious relief stung. Heart and ego are not big proponents of logic. Let me know what's happened. Paul touched her arm. Sure. She'd want to call. That was unfortunately a given. But she'd lost her taste for soap opera sneakings. You can use the phone in the office. Anna made the necessary calls. John Brown Brown, doomed to a life of redundancy because his mother's maiden name and her husband's surname were the same, the Natchez Trace Parkway's chief ranger, would inform the superintendent currently out of pocket at a regional meeting in Atlanta. 
Dispatch was given her ETA at Mount Locust. The park aide who'd paged, a seasonal interpreter named Shelley, was instructed to stay away from the inn and keep visitors out. Mount Locust was 30 miles south of Port Gibson on the Natchez Trace Parkway. Once it had been a producing plantation with the attendant kitchen and slave quarters. In the early 1800s, it became one of the first 50 stands, rudimentary inns, serving travelers between Natchez and Nashville. Of these stands, Mount Locust was the only one remaining. The outbuildings and detached kitchen had been reduced to rubble and memory. All that remained to tell of the many slaves who labored in them was a recently discovered cemetery out beyond the kitchen garden, bones without names or markers. In the past year, Ranger Dinkins, with the help of the park archaeologist and historian, had undertaken to find out who was buried there. So far, they had 11 names. With the tendency